Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Two women archaeologists were down in Mexico excavating an ancient Mayan burial ground looking for some remains to take back to their museum. Unfortunately, everything they ran across was badly decomposed. One of the two said, We don't seem to be having much luck. The other replied, Keep on digging. A good Mayan is hard to find. A good Mayan or a man may be hard to find, but something that isn't hard to find is archaeological evidence for the Bible. For the next uh, number of episodes, we'll be addressing the fact of why you can trust the Bible. And we will address this topic through looking at biblical and historical locations, archaeological evidence, and manuscripts and historical writings. My purpose in these messages is literally to overwhelm you, because there is so much proof for the Bible. It is a simple thing to provide abundant evidence for it. I traveled to Bible locations in 2017 through 2019. In 2017, I went to Greece for a Footsteps of Paul tour. In 2018 and 19, I traveled to Israel. And I'd like to share with you concerning this topic of why you can trust your Bible also based on my own personal testimony and seeing and experiencing numerous Bible locations and archaeological evidence. 1 Peter 3.15 reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The word answer in 1 Peter 3.15 is the Greek word apologia, And that word means a verbal defense, a reasoned statement or argument. When we speak of apologetics, we're referring to giving a defense for what we believe or defending the faith. But it's important to note the spirit by which we are to defend the faith, as Peter says, with meekness and fear, not with intimidation and disrespect. The goal of apologetics is through gentleness and respect to be able to answer questions about our faith and give a defense against objections that keep people from faith in Jesus Christ and faith in His Word. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that God wants His people to be prepared, to be ready always for this, to everyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us. The Lord desires that we be able to defend our faith humbly, thoughtfully, reasonably, and biblically. The study of apologetics aims both to strengthen the faith of believers and to remove obstacles to faith for those who do not believe. It gives arguments and evidence from archaeology and history to show that the scriptures and our faith are true. The Bible is intermingled with historical and geographical details of places and peoples. Archaeology brings to life these things which can encourage our hearts. 
Archaeology, however, must always be the servant of faith. We believe the Bible is the Word of God and therefore true. Everything else falls under that criterion. The Bible by itself remains supreme and sufficient for our faith. Everything else is judged by it. In 1998, the Smithsonian denied any use of the Book of Mormon as an archaeological guide and that it has found no archaeological evidence to support the book's claims. In contrast to this, the historicity of the Bible is often proved by remains of cities, artifacts, ancient documents, and so on. Through both archaeological evidences and other writings, the historical accounts of the Bible have been proven time and time again to be accurate and true. Archaeologists have discovered thousands of ancient artifacts, documents, places, and inscriptions that verify the scriptures. And to date, archaeology has not been able to disprove any historical facts recorded in the Bible. Instead, the more archaeology searches, the more they prove and confirm the historical references and locations in the Bible. And that demonstrates the trustworthiness of the Bible and why you can trust it. Acts 16 verses 9 to 11 read, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. As Paul was on his second apostolic journey, the Apostle Paul received a vision of a Macedonian man asking and begging Paul to come over from Troas, which was in Asia Minor, to Macedonia and southeastern Europe. Understanding it to be God's call, the Apostle Paul immediately obeyed this vision. From Troas, Paul took a boat to travel to Macedonia. The boat anchored overnight at Samothracia, an island about halfway between Asia Minor and the Greek mainland. The next day, they sailed to Neapolis. When Paul and his missionary team landed in Neapolis, his ministry reached Europe for the first time. Neapolis is at the bottom of a hill along the coast of the Aegean Sea. This is a picture of the coastal city of Neapolis from above. Neapolis is a real place which confirms the truth and accuracy of the Bible. In recognition of Paul coming to their city, in Neapolis, near its port, a mosaic was made marking Paul's entrance into Europe. The mosaic portrays Paul receiving the vision of the man from Macedonia and then Paul getting off the boat in Neapolis. Acts 16.12 reads, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. From Neapolis, Paul traveled about 10 miles inland to Philippi. Philippi sits in a valley on a plain between mountains. The city was so named by Philip II of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. 
Following Paul's arrival there, Paul went out by a riverside on the Sabbath where a group of women met for prayer. And like the Bible says, there's a river in Philippi. And as I visited that river and that sat there, that quiet place really hit me in the heart spiritually. On the tour I was on, I split off from our group and I went and sat by that riverside by myself. As I sat by this little river, hearing it trickle by, I thought of the monumental event that took place there. A moment with eternal consequences and massive ramifications happened in such a humble little place. Because one Saturday, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul went out to the women that were praying by that riverside and shared the gospel of the grace of God. And the first conversion in Europe took place right there when Lydia trusted Christ as her personal Savior. And then I thought how I'm part of the fruit of that meeting. Because from that meeting in Europe, the gospel went forward into Europe. And eventually, many hundred years later, out across to North America. 2,000 years later, here I was sitting there as a result of this simple meeting. And because of the Apostle Paul, by faith, going to this place in Europe and sharing the gospel. It was a powerful moment for me. And the conversion of souls and the changed transformed lives by Christ like that of Paul and Lydia and countless others are proof that you can trust the Bible. Acts 16 verse 19 read, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. This is a picture of the ancient Philippian marketplace and forum in the middle of the city. Paul had cast a demon out of a woman who was following him around, giving him trouble and hindering the gospel. This enraged the men that were profiting from the fortune-telling that the demon made possible. They therefore caught Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the magistrates. After being falsely accused, Acts 16, 22, and 23 tells us, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them, and when they had laid many stripes upon them. That unjust beating was done publicly for all to see right in the middle of the marketplace so everyone could see what happens to those accused of breaking the law of Rome in Philippi. And it was thrilling for me to come upon scenes like this marketplace and then put the Bible account and verses together with what I was seeing. Because this was the actual market where that event took place. And it's just like the Bible said. Acts 17 verse 1 reads, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. From Philippi, Paul passed through Amphipolis, which was about 33 miles from Philippi. This site was discovered and described by 
many travelers and archaeologists during the 19th century. More recent excavations have uncovered a cemetery, the city wall, monuments, a bridge, gymnasium, and villas. From Amphipolis, Paul traveled 30 miles southwest to Apollonia. This ancient city was located along the the historical, well-known Roman road, the Ignatian Way, in Macedonia, about midway between Thessalonica and Amphipolis. From Apollonia, Paul traveled 37 miles to Thessalonica, which is a grand total of around 100 miles from Philippi. Thessalonica still exists and is called Thessaloniki today. It is a large modern city of 1.5 million people. The modern city covers the site of the ancient city, and thus little can be seen of the Thessalonica from Paul's time. Remains of the ancient agora, or marketplace, however, are still visible in the center of the modern city. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11 read, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. As a result of persecution from the Jews, Paul and Silas were driven from Thessalonica to Berea. This is a picture of modern-day Berea, or Berea, as, as you approach it. It's a quaint, scenic town situated on the side of a mountain. In the middle of Berea, they have a mosaic and a statue commemorating the Apostle Paul's visit to their city, which acknowledges the truth of the Bible. The mosaics depict the Macedonian vision and Paul teaching at Berea. Paul's ministry bore fruit in Berea. Many Bereans trusted the gospel of the grace of God and were saved from their sins. One of the converts from Berea, Sopater, even accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. We call ourselves Bereans, and our ministry is named Berean Bible Society because of Acts 17 in this location in Greece. We hold that each of us needs to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures for ourselves and not take man's word for it because God's word is our authority. And we need to have the Berean spirit of going back to the, to the scriptures to verify that what we hear, what we read, what we are taught from the word of God is the truth. As a result of the Jews from Thessalonica hunting Paul down in Berea and stirring up the city against him, Acts 17, 14, and 15 tells us, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. The glory of Athens was beginning to fade when Paul visited there, but it was still the cultural and intellectual center of the world at that time. In Paul's day, Athens was also a religious capital and the stronghold of Greek mythology. The city was full of idols. There were so many idols in Athens that an ancient historian, Peteronius, wrote that it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. Seeing that the city was wholly given to idolatry, Paul's spirit was stirred in him. The Greek word translated as stirred means to be 
provoked to anger or irritated. Paul was burdened and concerned about the folly of their beliefs and the danger that it was for their souls. As a result, Acts 17.17 tells us, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul's burden for souls spurred him on to the synagogue and then daily to the market to reach people in Athens so that they might turn to the living and the true God. The market was the marketplace. This is a picture of it in Athens. This central public gathering place called Nagora was an open square in the heart of the city and was, of course, a place for buying and selling. But the marketplace was also a place for philosophers and orators as they found an audience to expound on their opinions and have debates and argue their various philosophies. Here the apostle found an opportunity where he could share Christ with the Athenians. Paul debated and discussed Christ with the philosophers in the marketplace. What Paul taught was strange enough to the philosophers that they decided to bring Paul to the Areopagus, or Mars Hill. And this is a picture of Mars Hill. A judicial body met on the hill of Mars. These judges were called Areopagites. They they assembled for hearings and court procedures. Part of their responsibility was to watch over religion and education in the city. Paul was invited to present his doctrine before the members of the court in the multitude, on the hill for an, within an informal meeting. Thus, Acts 17, 22-23 tells us, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, or very religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare I unto you. The location of Mars Hill and its height afforded Paul a view of the marketplace below and the Parthenon and the Acropolis above with its temples and it was beside and above him. The streets of Athens with its many temples and statues to false gods would have been visible from where he stood. We can be sure that Paul pointed to these idols and temples below and above him when he spoke and said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Paul's sermon is written in Greek on a large plaque on the side of Mars Hill, acknowledging the truth of the Bible. Paul's courage is inspiring as he stood alone, He stood boldly and declared unto them the true and the living God and the risen Christ in the midst of a whole culture and a whole city that was in spiritual darkness and which was standing against him. Acts 18 verses 1 to 4 read, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. It's 
been said that more than 80 details in the book of Acts have been confirmed by historical and archaeological research, and that the evidence that confirms the details in the book of Acts is overwhelming. After his meeting with the Athenians on Mars Hill, Paul traveled 50 miles to Corinth. Soon after his arrival in Corinth, Paul met the faithful married couple Aquila and Priscilla. For some time, Paul stayed in their home and worked alongside them. They were of the same craft or trade as Paul because they were all tent makers. Among the ruins in Corinth is a shop where excavations have uncovered tent making needles. Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla likely shopped there for the tools of their trade. Paul reasoned in the synagogue in Corinth every Sabbath. And in the excavations of Corinth, an inscription and carvings of menorahs from a Jewish synagogue have been found. When Paul entered a new city, he used the synagogue as a starting point to find an audience who would give him a hearing about spiritual matters. He did so also because of his desire for the salvation of his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews. And Paul went to the Jew first in new Gentile areas because during the transition period, which this was, God wanted to give every opportunity for Jews to be saved by grace, as well as for them to understand that God was turning to the Gentiles in his plans and purposes. Acts 18.11 tells us that Paul continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul lived and ministered in Corinth and made a deep impact for Christ during his 18 months there. The Lechion Road in Corinth was the main road that led from the city to the nearby seaport on the Adriatic Sea. There was a lot of trade and commerce that took place on this road and it is jam-packed with ruins and storefronts. As you stand there looking at it all, you can almost picture what the city of Corinth looked like in the days of Paul. Acts 18.12 reads, And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. The judgment seat, or Bema, to which Paul was brought, is still there today, nearly 2,000 years later. The Bema of Corinth is a large stone speaker's platform rising seven and a half feet above the ground. In ancient times, it was the place where official proclamations were publicly read and where citizens appeared before civic officials. Because Paul was sharing the message of grace for today, The Jews accused Paul of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. And they brought him to the judgment seat to stand before Galileo, the Roman proconsul of Achaia. But Paul never got to defend himself before Galileo. He dismissed the matter before Paul started speaking and told the Jews, If it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters, and he drave them from the judgment seat. The teaching of Paul's epistles to the Corinthians come alive when you're in Corinth. And one example is that judgment seat. Paul stood before a ruler at a judgment seat. 
the Corinthians knew about that Bema in their own city, and he wrote those Corinthians that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Seeing the temple to Apollo in Corinth makes one think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 6.16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Just as the Corinthians understood the Bema, they would have related to the thought of temples, because it was so much a part of their Greek culture. Those were temples to dead, false gods. But Paul told them, you're the temple of the living God. We are temples. Our bodies are temples because God the Holy Spirit dwells within each believer in Christ. Considering the Greek mythology and the Greek gods that were such a big part part of their culture, it made me understand more why Paul would write the Corinthians, For though there be that are called gods, where in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God. On the other end of the city of Corinth is what is called the Erastus Stone. Now we don't need extra biblical proofs to know that the scriptures are true but they can be encouraging and strengthening to our faith. Paul wrote the, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wrote it from Corinth. In Romans 16.23, he wrote, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, Erastus, abode at Corinth. In Romans 16.23, chamberlain means a high-level manager, steward, or treasurer of the city. And the wording on the stone recognizes Erastus as an edile, a Roman magistrate responsible for public buildings, streets, sewers, markets, and the distribution of grain, among other things. The stone was basically like a street being named after Erastus. The full inscription, inscription reveals that the honor for this stone was in return for Erastus pay, paving that particular street at his own expense. I knew about the stone before the tour, but when I saw the name Erastus from the Bible on that stone with my own eyes, it was just like a gentle encouragement to my faith and a blessing from the Lord. And I was grateful to the Lord to see it. It's been said well that it takes more faith to doubt the Bible than to believe it. And these biblical locations and archaeological evidences verify the trustworthiness of the Bible and show that in every way we can trust it. And the message of the Bible, the hope it holds out, the gospel of salvation, they are real and they are trustworthy. Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day. Trusting this alone, we have eternal life. That is the truth of the scriptures. Have you believed? Join us next time when we will look at the archaeological evidence from the land of Israel. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.